Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, Episode 52 for August 10th, 2006, Security Bulletins. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway. On the web at www.astaro.com. Time for Security Now and, uh, well, maybe an anniversary, maybe not, depending on how how sticky you want to get about your definitions. It's episode 52, Steve Gibson. Uh, yeah, we. Uh, I actually got some mail from people who were saying, you know... Uh, it's not this episode that's going to be the anniversary. It's the next one. And they, and they were saying, had you numbered <laughs> your episodes like a programmer from number zero, then 52 really would be your first anniversary. Instead, you're one-off. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, that's some, true. Some of my podcasts do have an episode zero. The the pilot is usually numbered zero, but we never did a pilot on this one. So, so, so it'd be sort of like celebrating your birthday the day before your birthday. Yeah, you know, this is which, the last podcast of the first year. And the next podcast will be the first podcast of the second year. So when is the when is the anniversary? Now or next week? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Happy birthday! <laughs> Happy anniversary! Let's not be too sticky. I, you know, it reminds me of uh, let, in the let, year two thousand. Let's have it be on. Let's have it be on both. Days. Both. We'll celebrate both. both. Yeah. In the year two thousand, remember there was that whole debate: is this really the end of the millennium, or you know, well, it is the end, but is it the beginning of the new millennium? No, two thousand one is the beginning of the new millennium. Blah, right. Because blah, blah. there was no year zero. Right. It just seems yeah. to me to be a, a semantic yeah. quibble. And uh, I'm not going to get in the debate, but happy birthday, happy anniversary, 52 episodes, almost 52 episodes done. Now, that's true. We, I have to say, we can't celebrate to the end of this episode. Oh, we, that's a good point. We don't know what's going to happen. I do know one thing. This would normally be our Mod 4 question and answer episode. It would if we hadn't had such a frantic week of security events. We had the Black Hat and the DEF CON conferences in Vegas, and so much was revealed that I want to talk about that I just, you know, we're, we'll just push these questions to our next Mod 4 and cover the phenomenal number of things, and many of them very, very worrisome. Um, I wanted to let people know that I'll be talking about a lot of things that they're probably going to want to follow up on. I'll have have links galore on our show notes this week. Basically, I'll be making up for all the many weeks where I just say, "Well, I had no links to share or or, you know, or additional notes, so, you know, check back next time." Well, this page and you know, Leo, you can copy them onto the the Twitch site or refer people to the show notes page on GRC, whatever you want to do, but I want to let people know that there, there's uh, there's going to be some things they're going to want to follow up on. Don't drive their car off the road trying to write these down if they're listening to the podcast uh, Friday morning and and not wanting to lose uh, the, this information. It'll all be on our show notes page. Uh, many people sent me offers or links to what they thought were um, script-free CSS-only menus, for one reason or another, none of them worked for me. 
Um, so I wanted to, uh, uh, in our show notes, is a link to the R&D menu that I developed over the course of those two months with the help of the great group of people in our news groups. Um, and the menuing system that will shortly be appearing on GRC is is robust to a level that nothing else we have found on the web is. It runs cross-platform on all Mac browsers, all Windows browsers, old browsers, new browsers. I mean, virtually, I mean, almost shoe leather browsers. I how, mean, how is that? Uh, let me ask you, uh, because that's difficult without doing uh, logic checks using JavaScript for the browser. How do you do that in, without saying, okay, if you're Internet Explorer, do this? Yeah, I mean, it really is difficult. I, uh, for a while, we had a number of what, what are called CSS hacks, which take advantage of parsing errors uh, that, spe- that specific browsers have. And in fact... Of course, if they fix the browser, then, then they fix that error. You're not going to have... Well, ex- I mean, exactly. It's not a... I mean, th- 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 there, were, there were several places where we had them. I ended up working all of them out. Okay. So we en- we ended up even virtually hack free, and there might still be one. Now I can't quite remember. There was a Safari, a Safari behavior where I had to keep Safari from reading one CSS rule. But but I've I've explicitly put this the result of this work in the public domain. Thank there you. there's a banner at the top of of the page of uh, the main menu.css page saying uh, where I'm placing this in the public domain I also not only for myself but for anyone else I commented it extensively I mean almost a line by line commentary of you know what the heck this wacky <laughs> thing is for I mean it is it is a a phenomenally complex piece of work but it's the most robust menuing system I've seen and it is script free now we're going to be talking about scripting here in the rest of our errata because scripting comes up several times this week. And it turns out that, I mean, you know, I surf, as I've said often, with JavaScript, all scripting disabled because that's the right way to do it. And we'll be seeing a little bit more why here in a minute. But, but many menus are, as you said, require JavaScript in order to to function and you know so I'll go to sites where you know they don't work it turns out that about 10% of internet users are now surfing without scripting enabled hmm. so so 10% of site well all sites that depend upon scripting for their site navigation are not going to be functioning without someone having to lower their security right. enabling scripting in order to get the menus to work and it's a it's a constant annoyance for me so i just couldn't have grc you know need scripting enabled and so anyway so the point is there's a link it's a grc.com slash menu two slash in vitro dot htm um which is just sort of the 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 development menu that we ended up putting together i say we me and all the people in the news group who were like pounding on it and testing it and changing the window size and just you know i mean it ended up being a a tremendously robust solution which i just want to bring to people's attention because there's a lot of interest in this notion of a script-free menu and uh you know i've got one and i'm giving it away to everybody that's great that's great well i'm sure the community will be very interested in what you've done and we'll be borrowing heavily liberally from your solution i hope so it would be great yeah and i wouldn't have to be lowering my security all the time (laughs) in order order to use other people's menus right um something else uh happened well uh, a number of things um you know how 
how I don't know how much of an eBay user you are, Leo, but you know well, I buy I, stuff all the time. I just bought two things this week. Yep, I do too. Um, I realized I could get the old HP 11C calculators there, which I have now an inventory of, just because I never want to be without them. It's the best calculator ever created. And, uh, you know, one of the things that anyone using eBay depends upon is that feedback. Because, you know, you want to know that the person you're buying something from is real. Right. And so you use the community's history with 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 those sellers and the presumably the sellers look at the buyer's feedback to see you know okay everybody is a good guy right well get get a load of this the latest application of botnets you know that we've talked about often about trojan programs which are get installed in people's computers and then use their internet connections uh it originally was just to attack other people then we had spam problems where 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 bots or these trojans were sending spam to people the latest application of botnets is creating fake high confidence ebay users oh no they're using oh, no. botnets are being are being now used to create new fake eBay users. Then they all do one penny, one cent buy it now transactions with each other in order to qualify them for leaving feedback. Oh. They leave raving positive feedback to create high quality fake users that are then used by the botnet runners, the, the botnet owners, to to create large dollar volume fake sales for something that looks very good, then that, of course, allows users to get fooled into trusting someone who's going to take their money and never ship their product. Oh, my goodness. Is there any way to spot that? Um, you can imagine that eBay knows about this, and they'll be doing you know whatever they can. But you know, maybe putting little captures on like all the pages. You there know, captures captures being those those little funky things where you have to type in something that it says in order to prove that you're human. It's I mean, getting it's frustrating. Gonna... There are captures everywhere now. You can't uh, put a comment on Dig without a capture. But that's because of these automated solutions that are spamming and and doing other things. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, that's terrible. I, I, I am devastated because I do rely on those seller ratings. And Well, yeah. I mean, I've got a 100% perfect rating, and I'm, you know, I'm proud of it. I've, well, I you know, guess if you look at the – if you read the comments, it should become clear when they're automated and when they're not. There'll be a certain uniformity to them, they'll, uh, I would imagine. Yeah, I wanted to let everyone know, both Ooh. from a standpoint of, you know – security now and also awesome. just you know ebay users you need to be careful awesome. maybe you know maybe for something that's enough high value have an, an um an interchange yeah. with the seller in order to yeah. get some confidence I don't, I don't know i mean but anyway buyer beware yeah no kidding uh, speaking of buyers um hamachi was was bought this stuns me i never thought this would happen yeah i'm I, i'm not happy about it because i trusted and and got such a good feeling from Alex Pankarov, the developer and and guy behind Hamachi, um, and you know it's. I hope they keep it free. Uh, anyway, it was bought by Log Me In, which has you know some related services. Um, get this, Leo. When we first talked about Hamachi, they had about a quarter million users. Um, then they had. Uh, last December, after we talked about them and, you know, things really began to get going, they were at about three-quarters of a million. Wow. In April, just 
what, five months ago, they were at 2 million. Oh, my goodness. And now they have 3 million users. <laughs> oh, so you can, you're responsible for, uh, for a total uh, two, two orders of magnitude growth in I that think, company. I think, I think Security Now really did Holy serve cow. to put them on the map. And, of course, we also talked about it on, on Call for Help up in Toronto. And, so. and I do think that word of mouth, after, it takes over once you get a certain critical mass. And of so course. We helped them get to critical mass, and then from then on, it was explosive and i'm glad alex good i'm glad he's going to make some money i hope he's going to make some good money out of it well and it, i mean it was a beautiful system well conceived i always appreciated that, i mean that like right from the get-go the while it was still in beta the ui was just beautiful yeah. i mean like yeah. really had someone paying attention to it so well and if you wanted to i guess you could download hamachi uh server right now and not worry about log me in's involvement just run it yourself that's a very good point. You could set up your Do own private, your own private, your own private <laughs> right. uh, Hamachi network. Um, it was never open source, which always bothered me, and this is one of the reasons I'm not fond of closed source. Had yep. it been open source, even had he sold it, you could fork it, and and there would always be a free and open version of it, regardless of what uh, he did with it. Yep. Um, so, from his point of view, it probably was smart to keep it closed source. He made, I'm sure, some money. But from the point of view of the user community, this is why I, I, I rarely will recommend a closed source solution. Yep. Moving on. Okay. Well, got some bad news. Uh oh. Um, the the bright guys down at EI in Aliso Viejo, the great security company, the big and and I mean they're they're just they're a bunch of really neat young you know like white hat hackers. They found a bad problem in D-Link routers. Uh-oh, I just bought one. Early, I know. <laughs> early, uh, early this year, they informed D-Link uh, toward the end of February and gave them half a year to deal with it. Uh-oh. D-Link has done nothing. Okay, now, and it's funny, too, because, I mean, the, the, the fundamental principles of security just keep applying. How many times have you heard me talk about not running services or servers, mm-hmm. servers you don't need? Mm-hmm. And how many times have we said, disable universal plug-and-play? Mm-hmm. Turns out there's a stack overflow, a, tr- a traditional buffer overrun in, in a, a handful of D-Link routers the uh, the DI five twenty four the um, the six zero four the six twenty four the seven eighty four the EBR twenty three ten the WBR thirteen ten and the WBR twenty three ten again we'll have uh, have links on our show notes to EI's page which talks about this but reading from what EI said they said a remote stack overflow exists in a range of wired and wireless D-Link routers this vulnerability allows an attacker to execute privileged code on an affected device when a specific request is sent to an affected device a traditional stack overflow is triggered, allowing an attacker complete control of the router. Hmm. With the ability to execute code on the device, it is then possible to apply modified firmware oh and, ultimate, and ultimately compromise the entire network. So you would use this attack to change the router's firmware and presumably put some code in there that would give you kind of easy access to the network. Now, well, if the machines do, on could, the other end are secure, would that matter? 
Um, well, you, you, there's no way you would want the equivalent of somebody plugging their own connection right. into your inside, your internal network. Right. I mean, you and may, so, you may not, they may have to find another attack to get into your machines, but, but at least they have unfettered access. It effectively turns off your firewall. Um, well, it does anything it wants to. Now, we should say that this is a universal plug-and-play server, and that's only facing the LAN side. So, so first, somebody would have to get access one way or another to to the LAN interface. That okay. is, you know, it, so it would have to be code running in your machine that was talking to the router, or if you were using unsecured Wi-Fi, then of course that gives them land right. side access. Right. Right. So an, so unsecured wireless would then probably be the most typical entry point. But if if if, a, if anyone were like out war driving and you did not have WEP or WAP, WEP or WPA security on your on your on one of these D-Link routers, which after half a year, I mean that's annoying. After half a year, this has not been they fixed. They should fix that. You bet. clearly clearly there just isn't enough pressure on D-Link to do this, or 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 they would have. So you know maybe by us talking about it, we're, we'll help to bring some pressure to to, to D-Link and get this this firmware updated. Well, and this is how EI all, works. Takes. EI is really good. I mean they do uh, you know yep. it's a balance between ex- full exposure and and uh, keeping it quiet, so they give you six months. But if you don't do anything in six months, then the only way to put pressure on a company is to announce it publicly. Yep. You know, yep. The, the idea, and the companies, of course, all get upset. Well, you're telling hackers how to use it. Well, we told you first, and if you didn't patch it in six months, by now, ha- many hackers may, in fact, know. So right. the, the only thing we can do is to tell the world. Uh, boy, that's a shame. Now, it's fortunately not the router I bought. And, uh, <laughs> but, so to lock my router down, it's, first of all, it's not wireless. Uh, so that's a good step. Is is it sufficient to turn off universal plug and play? Yes, because it is it, it is an overflow in that server. So we've and, always you know, told people to do that. Yes, we've always been telling people if unless you know you need universal plug and play, turn it off. It's a good thing not to have it on because it does allow anything that gets loose in your system to reconfigure your your router behind your back. And now we know because of uh, on these D-Link routers, because of a, a of a buffer overrun in the universal plug-and-play server running in the router, it allows even a much greater degree of compromise. So this is once again another reason to do uh, do these lockdown things that we tell you to do with your router, including turning off UPnP. Speaking of which, uh oh. Another we, one? We, well, yeah. We all know what a fan I am of client-side scripting. And I'm, I've got my tongue in my cheek. I'm, I'm, I'm biting it. Yes. I mean, I, you know, client-side scripting, you know, in email, in web browsers, anything is bad. You know, and people say, oh, but... It's so nice. It's like, yes, and it's bad. Now, I've always agreed with you when it comes to ActiveScript, because ActiveScript, which is the Windows technology, really has no sandboxing at all. But surely we're safe with JavaScript. No. He said, setting you up. (laughs) uh, Thank you, Leo. What, What has been figured out by some guys at a security company, SPI Dynamics, is how standard JavaScript... With no bugs, no exploits, no buffer overruns, overruns, no mistakes at all, can be used to port scan your internal network, mm. identify devices, take them over, reprogram Whoa. them, and send any information home. Um, so by now, going I, to a website running JavaScript, they could do that to my internal network? 
Yes, and there's wow. a proof of there's a proof of concept online right now that demonstrates. Um, basically, you go to their page. Their JavaScript will scan your internal network and any site you went to that was that was using scripting. And you can bet it's not going to take long before this this. I mean, this is now out in the wild. This was talked about at the Black Hat conference last week. And so all the bad guys know about this now. So should I turn off JavaScript? Well, uh, yes. I mean, oh, Leo, but Steve. I, I've been saying it's bad. <laughs> but Steve, this not, is what I'm. This not, is what I'm talking about. None of my sites work without. I mean, okay, nothing just, works without JavaScript. Well, mine does. Why? Because it, it's possible. I mean, okay, but let, yeah. Let, but with all due respect, your site is does not do all that much. It doesn't jump up and down and dance around. Well, I know. It but doesn't do a let, lot of things. Okay, let me just let me. Just, you don't set you don't set session cookies or anything, right? Uh, you can't. No, I have. I, I'm just beginning to use cookies because that's another thing I want to. But begin to set to session cookies, don't to, you? Don't you need JavaScript to do that? Oh, or some scripting? I, I, no, you could do server side. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it, yeah. I mean, cookies have traditionally been server side. Okay. Right. So, so okay. SBI Dynamics says, right, and I've got, I've got JavaScript. I've, right I've got link. Uh, I've got links to this stuff. Says, imagine visiting a blog on a social site like MySpace.com, or checking your email on a portal like Yahoo's Webmail. While you're reading the web page, JavaScript code is downloaded and executed by your web browser. I mean, we all know that's the way these things work. In this case, it scans your entire home network, detects and determines your Linksys router model number, and then sends commands to the router to turn on wireless networking and turn off all encryption. Now imagine that this happens to a million people across uh, the United States in less than 24 hours. Uh, this scenario is no longer one of fiction. Well, it doesn't break Twit TV too much. <laughs> the only thing it breaks by turning off JavaScript is my is our Flash player. So we, they say we can recode yes, that. Yes, they say getting inside the internet, uh, the intranet. The scanner is written in JavaScript, which can be embedded into an a any HTML page. Simply viewing the page downloads the JavaScript along with the HTML to the user's browser, automatically executing the code once loaded. It does not matter if the user is sitting in a coffee shop using a wireless hotspot or inside an office building using a corporate network. If a user can browse the web, he or she can visit a page that includes the scanner and have his or her network, whether internal or external, be scanned and attacked. Well, and, scanner and, and, and using MySpace as an example is a very good example because, as we know, the WMF flaw was propagated to a million computers on MySpace just a few weeks exactly, ago. Exactly, exactly. A lot of unsophisticated users uh, on MySpace. Anyway, these guys go on to explain how the equivalent of a ping can be created with JavaScript to to ping all the IPs within a range. We know that JavaScript is able to determine the user's IP because we've talked in the past about how some of those sites scare people by saying we know you know the private IP of your computer, and 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 we've said before, yeah, okay, big deal. That doesn't do anything. What in this case, it tells the scanner what kind of network you're on and what range of IPs to scan for other machines, and they go on to show how this thing can find web servers and then and then send 
um, requests to to web servers, which may be less secure on the intranet than they are from from the outside on the internet, mm-hmm. where they're worried about you know bad guys getting in. And I mean, basically, do anything this thing wants to inside your network. So I mean, it's it, I mean, Leo, it's the the problem is you are going to untrusted sites and running script that they provide. It's just a bad idea. I mean, it, it's unfortunate that it's bad, but like so many things that we want to do, it, they're not secure. And here is a perfect example now, finally, of what you know, valid, non-buggy JavaScript can do to, mm-hmm. on your machine whenever you visit a website that chooses to do this for whatever purpose. Well, all I can say is uh, we're going to turn off JavaScript on Twit and figure out a way to make it work without JavaScript. There are a lot of things that use JavaScript, unfortunately, including ad banners and, and I mean, a lot of the net relies on JavaScript. Well, you know, Leo, we trust you. I, I, I have, I have put you in my trusted list on IE, and so when I go to Twit, everything jumps around and dances the way you want it to. Well, there's not that so much. So what I would say is, you don't have to turn it off and not use it. Choose, um, choose, choose uh, safe you, sites. You don't have to turn it off and not use it. Right. Well, no, I, you know, like, like from, 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 from your standpoint as a webmaster, right. what you want to do is you want to focus more on the hopefully growing percentage of, of, of security savvy users who will visit your site with JavaScript at least initially disabled. So, you know, I mean, and, and certainly I see sites more and more that say, you know, that stop me as I'm trying to enter, saying, this site requires JavaScript yes. to be enabled. It's like, okay, well, and then I make a decision. Mm. How much do I want to go any further? Right. So, so from a webmaster standpoint, I would just say, think, you know, disable JavaScript on your browser, use your own site, see how, if it's okay, and if not, ask your web designers to do a better job for non-scripted browsers who visit because if i had my way everyone would would have their scripting disabled by default until they chose right. to to deliberately trust someone well and that's certainly how i'm going to set up my browsers from now on uh, but a great many sites and, and you know all the ajax functionality that we've come to expect that's all as JavaScript. a matter of fact the the spi guys specifically address ajax and talk about how javascript because it's a component of ajax it is becoming um, you know, more pervasive, yeah. and now we've seen it's not safe. Oh, this is devastating. <laughs> Fortunately, most of my site, my sites make very little use of JavaScript, um, uh, except for the admin uh, interface, which is an, uh, an AJAX interface. So all you'll lose is the ability to play a Flash player. But for instance, there are some things that are, well, I'll have to, pl- have to look at them. There are things like it, it won't launch iTunes when you click the iTunes button. So even a simple site like mine, uh, JavaScript is fairly, fairly important. I know. For. Believe okay. it or not, we got one more bad one. All right. Um, it turns out that Intel Centrino Wi-Fi chip drivers have a bad bug in the in the frame processing, which and this is one thing that that also has come out just in the last in the last week. Intel Centrino, you know the the the, the widely deployed wireless chipset family that lots of laptops are using has the 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 windows drivers have a very bad bug that allows you to bypass wi-fi security now this is is this the demo they did at black hat where they 
uh, took over a MacBook. Is it the same flaw? Um, no, that's a different flaw. Another flaw. <laughs> Wonderful. Yes, mm-hmm. another flaw. This affects only Windows drivers. Uh, again, now, now, Intel did ship new drivers for its Wi-Fi shortly after the Black Hat demo. I wonder if that fixed this flaw. Oh, yes. This flaw has been fixed. I, okay. I, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to tell people about it. I mean, unlike the JavaScript problem, which, you know, we're stuck with. We can't fix this, that. This, this is a bug. It has been patched. Again, links on our page take you to a downloadable tester that will tell you what version of your of Centrino you have and which ones are vulnerable. And then Intel has a, a patch. Unfortunately, the patch is just huge. It's 130 megs. To, to download this, although you don't have to install all that, but you do have to download that blob. And then, and in fact, on, on one of my tablets, um, I, was, I had a, a, a buggy driver in one of my tablets. Uh, on my little libretto, it, do, it doesn't use Centrino, so I was fine there. But anybody who's got like that Centrino label on the back of their, uh, or maybe the, uh, the underside of their laptop, ought to take a look at this because it is the thing that's scary about it is that no encryption and protection saves you. This is an error in the frame in the packet processing, the frame processing before we get to encryption and security and decryption. So the, potentially somebody sending this specially malformed packet could execute code. Oh, and the code executed is at the privilege level of the driver, which of course is the kernel. It's always so, ring zero. That's how a driver exactly. has to so work. Yeah. full kernel privileges. Oh wow! So anybody using Centrino wants to get this stuff from our show notes and get themselves patched immediately. And there is, of course, this larger issue, uh, which was demonstrated at Black Hat with almost all they said Wi-Fi drivers. Uh, similar buffler overflow, I, I expect, although they did not tell the world how the exploit worked. But right. They, but they uh, attacked a Mac, MacBook. Of course, they had to use a third-party Wi-Fi card to do it, they, which nobody would do since you already have one. But right. uh, they said, and we used a MacBook because Mac users are so smug. <laughs> we just wanted to show them they have problems too. But uh, it is a problem on Windows machines just as much. So this, yep. there are holes in these drivers. But it's a really scary thing when you have whole security flaws in a driver. Well, yes, and especially one on Wi-Fi because of the wireless problem. I mean, the the opportunity to do war driving and one which affects you independent of WEP or WPA encryption. I mean, there is no protection for this other than patching the driver immediately. Mm. And because it's wireless, inherently, I mean, people have talked about the, the possibility of a wireless worm because a worm could jump from one wireless notebook to another, like right. in an airport or right. in a hot, or in a coffee shop, or even in, in a corporation where a lot of people were, were using like internal Wi-Fi hotspots. I have to say, uh, it sure sounds like the hackers are winning <laughs> today. It's uh, been is, a busy week. This is bad. Do you have any good news at all? I have a piece of really neat good news. Thank you. Can you end with that? Uh, and, and, yes, and as a matter of fact, it is it is the last <laughs> one of you. my lengthy list of errata for the week. <laughs> because uh, I, I don't want to end on such a scary note here. Um, there's a group called the Stop Badware Coalition that is is developing a list, a comprehensive list of sites that that are known to have malware content. Google has just started working with them. Oh, wonderful. And it's really cool. Google will alert anyone who clicks on a link 
which is going to a site which is known or believed to have some sort of spyware, malware, or just sort of generic badware, it'll instead take the user to this um, the Stop Badware Coalition page. Oh, fantastic. Just to give them a warning that, you know, you should know that... Um, there's, you know, there's wow. been some some concerns raised about the site you are about to visit. Do you want to keep going? Holy cow! It's very cool. And get this, Leo. It turns out that in in a study they did a few months ago, prior to launching this, ten percent of search results are of sites in that that have this collision of known badware. Wow. So one out of, one out of ten links that Google returns or any other search engine is returning. Of course, this is a, a great advantage for Google. And and the 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 Stop Badware Coalition guys are first working with Google. It's not an exclusive relationship, so you can imagine that all the other search engines are going to want to jump on this because I mean, basically, it's a cool service for protecting users from going to sites that have known problems. Puts a huge burden and a lot of power in the hands of Stop Badware. Um, I should point out that Stop Badware is a coalition. Uh, Google, Lenovo, and Sun Microsystems are partners. Um, it's kind. Of, it was. I think it's kind of a, a, a. I'm not sure, but I think it's kind of a newer group that was started kind of with this in mind. Yes, and and only recently. Yeah, uh, in conjunction with uh, Harvard's uh, uh, Berkman Center. So um, and Oxford University's Oxford Internet Institute. So these are good people. Consumer Reports uh, is involved as well. So I think that this is good. I mean, it, it, there is a lot of power now that this this group has because... Oh, like, imagine imagine being incorrectly listed. It would be, you know, devastating. Oh, my goodness. So uh, it's important that they really be, uh, you know, above suspicion in any way and that they be absolutely objective. And apparently they're so. I mean, I, I'm, I'm impressed with what they've done. Yep. So, and, and thank you, Google, for doing this. It's a risky thing for Google to do. I mean, it puts, it exposes them. Uh, it's, I, I think it's it's a next step. I mean, ultimately, it, it's like it's the kind of thing where it's like, yeah, I'm. I wish I'd thought of it. I yeah. mean, it's but it's a it risky really thing make, to do because you're going to get sued. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I mean, let's face it. <laughs> Google is being sued all the time anyway because people right. are pissed off that they're not ranked right. where they think they should be right. in in Google's engine. So, so thank you, Google, for taking the hit for all of us on this one. It's an important right. thing to do. I I bet you. I'd be. You said other search engines should do this. They may be forced to just because Google's doing it. It'll make be one more reason for everybody to use Google. But I bet you there's a lot of resistance uh, among management of these search engine companies saying, we don't want we don't want to go out on a limb like that." Yeah, I mean, it's just it's a who would not? I mean, if you if you if you were you didn't have any other reason to use Google like liking it. If you were using other search engines, now use Google. You could, I was going to say, who yeah. wouldn't prefer that just to have that extra layer of protection? So everyone, before long, it'll just be the way it's done, and as it should be. Another step forward, exactly. Well, I'm glad you ended on a happy note. <laughs> Actually, I, I have one more story to add that really isn't security. It's more about privacy, but it just raises the issue of uh, search engines and uh, how much they know. I don't know if you saw the New York Times article. Uh, I think it was today about America Online. You may remember last week America Online admitted and later apologized. The screw up. Yep. Yeah. That they gave a, a lot of information uh, about uh, searching. They published it. What did they do? They they gave it out or they um, I can't remember. I didn't. I didn't follow it closely either. I just knew that there were that they were embarrassed and they were apologizing for for some sort of dis- information disclosure. They collected. Uh, well, they made a list of twenty million uh, web search queries. Uh, on AOL, 
And now you might say, as AOL did, well, they're anonymous. We're not giving out uh, personal information. We're, we're, uh, this database is just what people search for. We, we numbered the users, so no one knows who it is. Well, an intrepid reporter for the New York Times uh, looked at the information, and you know, it's not as anonymous as you might think. He actually tracked down wow. uh, number 4417749, mainly because... Her searches, as most of our searches would, I think, gave a lot of information about who she is. She was searching for landscapers in her hometown and searching for people with a last name uh, that was similar to hers. And I mean, it was enough information that this reporter was actually able to talk to her. Wow. So that's a terrifying thought. Would you like all the things you've searched for in the last year to be published on the Internet? No, and I mean you you could you could argue that it would be easy for people to also to like misinterpret um what what we're searching for. I mean, I'm after all the rev, the revelations this year about the the NSA, you know, watching us. I'm and then if there was something just the other day I was it was something to do with a with a suspicious, you know, anti-terrorism sort of website thing, and I just thought, boy, I mean it's kind of creepy to think that that what we do on the net may be watched and somebody may be interpreting our intentions, which, of course, you know, that's the leap that they have to make is understanding why it is that a right. person is, is going there. Yeah, well, did pull the uh, search data off of its um, uh, site over the weekend, apologized for the release. It, they saying it was an unauthorized move. Uh, by a team who actually would just wanted to benefit the academic community. You know, here's a lot of informa- raw information that maybe you can you can get some value out of. Uh, yep. So they did. I think they did it in the best intentions, but it just points up that uh, you know there is a you don't need somebody's name to know a lot about them. Well, and you know that that's really it's funny you say that because one of my arguments against the whole third party cookie thing is people the the aggregators are saying, oh no, this is anonymous. It's like eh, it starts out being anonymous, right. but when you acquire enough information, you you're, and and you and that's the whole point of of aggregating data. You aggregate all this, and you end up with something that can sometimes not be so anonymous. I'll put a link uh, along with your links uh, to this New York Times article. It's uh, it's cool. quite quite amazing. Well, now that we've scared the pants off of everybody and maybe cheered them up a little bit with the the Google information, I think it's time we adjourned this edition of Security Now, but we'll be back next week. Do you want to pick up uh, the virtualization topic? Yes, that's what we're going to do. I'm going to talk about sort of the granddaddy of, of commercial companies, VMware, which I've actually been using for many years. And uh, so we're going to kind of cover what they offer and their products and and give people some introduction to that. And that'll be our next step in discussing uh, virtual machine stuff. I can't wait. Of course, we want to thank the folks at Astaro for providing the, uh, the, the wherewithal to continue this podcast. It's their support, really, that encourages me so much uh, with uh, security now because... Uh, you know, we could go on doing this for a long time out of our own pocket, but the fact that uh, somebody, a company like Astaro has come along and said, you know, it's worthwhile, we want to help support it, it just really, it makes me feel good. Uh, they are the makers of the Astaro Security Gateway. If your small or medium business network needs superior protection from spam, from viruses, from hackers, as well as complete VPN capabilities, intrusion protection, content filtering, and an industrial strength firewall, all in an easy-to-use, high-performance appliance Contact Astaro, www.astaro.com, or call 877 
the number four, Astaro. You can schedule a free trial of the Astaro Security Gateway Appliance in your business. And, of course, as always, non-commercial users, you and me, can download the software version of ASG for home use absolutely free. That's also at astaro.com. And for a low price, I think it's 79 euros a year, you can add very strong antivirus, anti-spam, and uh, other protections uh, to it that's automatically updated. It really is a, a great solution if you've got an old box lying around that you could put Linux and Astaro on. This is a, a really neat thing to do. ASTARO.com. Of course, uh, Security Now is provided by uh, Steve as a, as a pro bono benefit to the community. But if you'd like to benefit him back, I just talked to somebody, it's so funny, uh, this week who said, yeah, I bought a copy of Spinrad. I didn't need it. I just wanted to give something back to Steve. <laughs> you don't have to buy it if you don't need it. But if you need file maintenance and recovery, I shouldn't speak for you, Steve, but I think, I, I think you would agree with me. Don't buy it if you don't need it. But if you have a hard drive, you might well want it. Uh, Spinrad is the absolute best in file recovery and disk maintenance. It's available at uh, grc.com. And if you want to read some testimonials, Spinrite, S-P-I-N-R-I-T-E dot info. It's a great and, place. And you're right, Leo. I mean, I, I would never ask anyone to spend $89. You that, don't need you donations. Know, <laughs> right. Um, my whole goal here is just to plant the seed. I mean, sooner or later, pretty much everybody who uses a PC over a long period has some sort of a disk crash. I mean, a, you know, a physical problem that they turn their machine on and it says, you know, no operating system found. It's like, Let I me mean, ask or, you a question because or, uh, uh, you, what happens with Spinrite is you make a boot CD or a boot floppy that will run Spinrite because you run it cor- from, from DOS, basically. Correct. Um, now that uh, uh, Macintosh runs on Intel, can I use it on my Mac machine? On an Intel? You know, we're getting questions about that, and I don't know yet. You um, have a Mac Intel. Uh, Why don't you try it? Well, you know, I do, but I've I'm liking the Mac. Boot. I'm la- I'm liking the Mac so much yeah. that, that that first I first first I cut the hard drive in half using uh, Apple's Boot Camp. Right. So it was half Mac and half Windows. Right. And I got Windows installed and set up, and it all worked really well. It's like okay, cool. Now I've got you know Windows on this really nice Mac hardware. Then I was using the Mac for a while, and I was thinking, oh, I'm kind of liking this Mac side. So I I wiped out the Windows side, and I. I used Boot Camp again to repartition it, and this time I only gave Windows 10 gig out of my total of 80, and and now it's gone completely. <laughs> oh no! Don't tell this. Be, well, be, because one of the tools we'll be talking about uh, is Parallels, which yes, is a I virtual. It. It's a virtual machine technology for the Mac. Yep. Which on an Intel machine runs Windows at full speed in a window. I, so, I mean, love it. Well, it, it's a it's a cool solution because, for example, I've got some friends that I I would like to have always had on a Mac, except they like need one particular application. I I've got a really great realtor friend, and she has to have her this the one application for her yeah. multiple. It is it's her yeah. multiple listing thing, and it only runs under Windows. Yeah. So this is like a perfect solution for her. So uh, it's not that it's not that it won't uh, check the disk because it's file system independent, right? Well, yes, because it's it's about the physical sectors. It's uh, Spinrite actually runs underneath the level of the file system, dealing with the the actual recording of data on the disk, and doesn't care what the data is that it's reading. It works to recover it and 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 also to remove 
um, bad sectors from use, swapping them out with spares that the drives always have. So, so it would work on Linux. It would it would work, work oh, on a Mac. The issue really is booting. People it. run people run it on their TiVos. Oh yeah, of I mean, course it'd be great I mean, for that. Yeah, they fix uh, Spinrite will fix TiVo drives right, that, that right. are in trouble. So so in theory, however, you know, it is down at the bare metal. I wrote it, of course, all in assembly language, right. and it's you know it was there's it no was BIOS. Several, uh, there's no traditional BIOS on a Mac. Oh, then you're right. So uh, I don't think it'd work. It's not going to bring all of the stuff around. It right. still does. It expects to see a PC. So you're yeah. you're correct, yeah. Leo. But I have a feeling gang with steve's new love <laughs> that maybe someday for mac users too there'll be a there'll be a spin well right. and mac people do use spin right by pulling the drive right. out and right. sticking it over on a pc it so would work, that would work fine then and it does and okay. and people have people have done it a lot okay that's good to know grc.com that's also where you'll find the show notes the 16 kilobit version of this show for the bandwidth impaired and elaine's fantastic transcriptions for those who'd like to read their security now, or many do read along it's, it's, with Steve. I, I'm seeing notes from people who are who are using Google to find oh. the transcripts, which then lead them into the podcast. Interesting. And so we're we're acquiring people who are doing Google searches for things, and they they run across the the transcripts. And so it's really nice because because Elaine's transcripts mean that that security now is searchable. Right. Well, and I uh, I will add that uh, it is going to be searchable in another way because we've done a deal with Podzinger, which is a BBN company, and they do amazing work in uh, in voice to text, and they are scanning now all of the Twit.tv network programs, creating transcriptions, not as good as Elaine's, they're they're computer transcriptions, but good enough for searches, and uh, as we're soon to implement a, a new search box that we, we already have a text search box on the Twit.tv, but we'll have a text and audio search box that will allow you to search any of the podcasts. And this will be great. So if you want to know more about Netstat, you can go and type Netstat. And not only will it take you to the podcast where Steve talked about Netstat, it'll take you, it'll cue it up to that portion of the podcast. Oh, very nice. nice. So there's a little player. And, you and, press and play. you're able to do that without any scripting. That's yeah. amazing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll see about that. I don't know. It might not work without. I, I, I think as a goal for all websites and certainly for, for mine, uh, Eliminating all scripting is a you know all client side scripting is a, is well is worth, or, worth or, doing. or or a reasonable compromise I think is to is to minimize the the impact right. from not scripting you know so so as a I think a responsible webmaster should just turn scripting off and you know see if the site is still usable maybe not all the bells and whistles are still working but at least you know you could you you could get around well of course I did do that the minute you told me earlier in the podcast and as i mentioned the only thing that seems not to work is the flash based player i guess it uses a little in fact i know it uses a little javascript to uh pull for, up the player but right. we can change that that's right. that's, for, that's just an easy thing to change for the search people, still works by the way so right for people who are firefox users there's a very nice firefox plugin called no script oh. and no script does exactly what I recommend doing, and that is it allows you to run by default with scripting disabled, and then whitelist sites 
that you trust, you know, Google, Excellent. Amazon, and so forth. So you get you get the best of both worlds. You get scripting, like Antwit.tv, of course. Right. You get scripting for any sites you visit. It automatically turns it on on the fly in the same way that Internet Explorer uses its its um, zones right. in order to give you uh, differing levels of security depending upon what, what whether it's, it's a default Internet site or one that you have explicitly trusted. So it's called NoScript for Firefox. I was, and, uh, I was almost gave it point to uh, to to explore and say this is a reason to use Explorer because of that capability. So I'm glad to know about NoScript. That's good. Yep. Yeah. All right. We uh, will say goodbye to you now. We'll be back next week talking about virtualization uh, and specifically VMware. Uh, remember, twit.tv is a place to find not only this podcast, but a great many others. We're actually going to be up to a dozen podcasts soon uh, on all topics technology oriented. And uh, if you like God, you must be busy, Leo. I, you know, I've decided to really make this my full time job. I, 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 I kind of was on the fence for a while, but... Um, it's working now that we're getting advertising. We're getting the do- donations have been very strong. Uh, and by the way, the fact that we have advertising doesn't mean stop donating. I really appreciate those donations. The reason is we use the donations to support infrastructure, uh, which includes, of course, server uh, expenses, equipment expenses, rent, that kind of thing. And the uh, and the advertising money goes to the hosts, um, you know, to pay for them because they're everybody, including Steve, are doing it voluntarily right now, and me. But uh, I, you know, it's exciting. I think things are really going well, and uh, and I, I really think there's a an interest in this kind of information. I, I, I know, if security now didn't exist, uh, I would be uh, missing a lot of really important information. So I'm very grateful to you, Steve, for doing this for a year. For oh, actually, you're starting to get a little money now that we have advertising. Well, and the audience seems to be holding. I mean, we're we're, oh, we're growing. Strong. Oh, we're yeah. growing, baby. Is that what the last numbers showed? Yeah, if you look at the last numbers, uh, ah. it's some of the strongest numbers we've had uh, yet. Very nice. Uh, so I'm very encouraged. Uh, people do like what we're doing, and uh, we appreciate it. We're glad you listen, and we hope you'll be back next Thursday for another exciting, thrilling, gripping, and let's hope not so depressing episode of Security Now. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Leo. Security Now.